with issue for all women. Hello and welcome to episode 286 of the Standard Issue Podzine. And indeed, welcome 2024. If you could treat us kindly, I'd be most obliged. I'm Mickey Noonan, on my own at the top here this week, but you'll be hearing from Hannah and Jen shortly. Because Hannah's been chatting to Joanna Hall, sports scientist and founder of Walk Active, about walking, obs, why we should all be doing it and how to maximise the time you have to exercise. And Jen's been on the Zoom with writer and performer Kate Sumter about her one-woman show, Spin. Spin! It's all in capital letters. Spin! And they're chatting wellness in general and the cult of fitness in particular. That's right, two interviews about exercise. Now, I'm sure you're well aware that we don't truck with any of that new year, new you bollocks at standard issue. As far as I'm concerned, we all deserve a standing ovation for just getting through the day upright. Consider yourself applauded for putting a podcast on. Have a biscuit. Have a lie down if you need to. You do you. And in all honesty, big fan of making my body move that I am. I shit you not, I'm currently wearing a brilliant new vest that says Shred Zeppelin. That's that's who I am now. And I make no apologies. But even with that in mind, the thought of spinning makes my lungs sweat. Uh, no thank you. Although Kate Sumter almost changed my mind. Almost. I do like a walk though, which is useful because I have a five and a half month old puppy the size of a small pony and with more energy than Sellafield. There's a 1980s reference for you, eh? Although I did check and it does still exist. However, if you are more of a feet up in front of a film kind of January person, fear not because Rated or Dated returns next week and we bloody love it when you watch along with us. It's my pick first and lucky me, because January, across all of the birthday years we have to choose from, appears to have been a wasteland that T.S. Eliot would envy. There's an English literature degree reference for you. Who says it was a waste of time? Not me. Anyway, I was just about to give in to despair, and there it was. A real-life story of not giving in to despair, or mountains. And so, for next week's Rated or Dated, we're watching Touching the Void, released in the US of A on January the 23rd, 2004. Join us. I'm joined by Kate Sumter, writer of and performer in Spin, a one-woman show premiering in London at the Arcola Theatre from January the 9th to the 20th. Kate, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. It's a pleasure to be here. Listeners of the podcast will know that I am the quote-unquote sporty spice. I used to love a spin class myself, but usually just one that was like heavily disco-based and, and not that difficult and, and mostly attended by quite old people, if I'm honest. Anyway, that's the dream. <laughs> exactly. So, Kate, I don't think that's what your play is about. Can you tell me a little bit about your version of spin, please? Yeah, I mean, I I also grew up playing sports. I I played every sport. I love sports. Grew up with a lot of exercise. Definitely a fan. And I actually had never done a spin class before I started to write this play. During the pandemic, a lot of my friends were getting really into spin. And I was seeing a lot more cultural references to the kind of culture of spin in particular. Am I allowed to say specific yeah, industries yeah. not the BBC. Go for it. Peloton it up. Go on. You're going to come for me. Soul Cycle and Peloton. My friends were getting really into these. And the rhetoric behind it and the kind of culture behind it was just fascinating. It can have quite a culty energy to it. And I don't, I want to start off by saying I do not demonize any kind of exercise. If people like it, they should, they should do it. And also, who cares what I think? I'm not a doctor, right? But, you know, I'm just a person trying to crack jokes but uh 
I saw in these kind of spin cultures, this um, holding up of exercise as this moral activity, this thing that was so necessary for us to be good people. And these this idolization of specific instructors and these cult followings of these specific instructors as these kind of lifestyle gurus. And I just saw so many connections between how we relate to fitness, the sort of demands of capitalism, a lot of religious, even if you are a secular person, you sort of ingest a lot of religious ideology and how that plays out through fitness and our relationship to our bodies. And uh, came up with this idea for this for this play that ended up being spin. I am really interested in what you just said there about religion. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like what, what it is you see in a sort of religious sense? My parents are British, but I grew up in America and we get it a lot more in America, even though I didn't grow up with religion. It's just part of the zeitgeist and religious ideology about a sort of dichotomy, a binary of good and and evil. And we're trying to pass some test so that we can be a good person. You know, there's some threshold of goodness. Uh, that sort of framework for looking at how to live life, I think people just embody kind of naturally, whether or not you're going to church, to any sort of church or, or otherwise. And uh, I think it, that ideology plays out in our relationships with our bodies, I think primarily through how our relationship to fatness and skinniness. And I think it manifests so clearly through fat phobia, the way that we worship certain types of bodies, skinny bodies, and we hate fatness and we hate fat bodies. Those are evil bodies, sinful bodies. And then there are these holy, sought-after bodies that are idealized that we gather through images on social media, which are highly edited, highly filtered, created by, you know, plastic surgery. These things are, are held up as perfection. And we're always in pursuit of this kind of holy perfection that we can never reach, running away from the sinful evilness of having excess adipose tissue. It, it's also in the framework of, of uh, and if you read about anorexia and anorexic thinking, there is a worship. There is, there, there's a, <laughs> anorexics will even sometimes pray to a god called Anna to make them skinny. There is there is religious ideology baked into that type of thinking. There's also a big history within the Christian religion in particular of Christian fitness and Christian strength as your body being a, a symbol of your of your righteousness. The way I used to look at exercise and fitness and going to the gym or whatever before I sort of got like really into it and before I sort of just started giving less of a fuck really about about um. a lot of things was exercise was like my punishment for eating too much oh absolutely what what person you know mostly women can't understand that yeah. feeling so that's the penance you pay for your gluttony i guess so i know like what i'm saying is a lot of women will identify with that that will be quite a you know relatable concept to a lot of women because that kind of how we've been told our, our relationship with fitness and our bodies works right so i'd never really thought about it in those terms before but you're absolutely right it, there are some like real biblical connotations to that right absolutely i mean you know people would whip themselves to purge themselves of sin you go to the gym and you know i used to manage a gym in in london and you just see miserable people people who are so unhappy being there doing their penance 
And just if you follow, you know, okay, well, why is that? Why is that? You get to a really ugly core of what we value in society and the trap that we end up finding ourselves in. And I have fully been inside that trap. You know, I think most most women and increasingly men do find themselves there, even though I was like, I'm a feminist and I'm I'm liberated. And yet when I really went to the core of my values, I saw this almost religious devotion to values that I didn't recognize that I had. Wow. It's fucked, isn't it? <laughs> oh, fucked. It's so fucked. I mean, that's also like genesis of this play was just looking at all of this fucking pain, you know, all of this pain. And it's so deep and it's so present and it takes up so much of our precious energy and lives. But we don't actually really talk about it that much. And we don't talk about how painful it is. I think it becomes like, a, oh, you know, we, you know, we should really do something about that. But like, I think the scope of the grief that particularly women have over their in their relationship to their bodies is vast and not appreciated. And I think spin came from this kind of feeling of this, this scream, this sort of cultural scream that we're just not allowed to to process. Before settling on disco spin, yeah, like I tried various iterations of it, and and spin does seem to me to be one of the more psychotic of <laughs> <laughs> all the exercise classes. Is that why you wanted to use it as a medium for this? Besides the kind of observations you had about the cultishness that that you saw your friends involved in, I guess, or did you think it sort of lent itself particularly well to a theatrical production, or like even, I guess, the sort of churchiness? Of it? Yeah, I think you said it all. Absolutely. I think that there, and again, don't want to demonize spin it if spin works for you. And But I think that there can be a, a real manic quality to it. It's like, give yourself over to the music, you know, pedal into your dreams, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of um, manic energy. And as you say, a leaning into a churchy quality, especially in Soul Cycle, they will have candles everywhere and they'll be like, you know, envision your dreams and you're going towards this this better life, this life that's you're you're meant to be living on some sort of secular universal level. I think there's a church-like quality, there's a religious quality, there's a manic quality. And because you're all doing it together and there's the there's the the rhythm and the terminology and you have to clip in shoes, like there's uh this community as well, the community of people who who do spin. And that is really that's really powerful as well. We're so hungry for for community and to feel like a part of something. And spin offers a sort of secular way to have a kind of religious experience that feels really powerful. But then what's at the core of that feeling so powerful? It's like, if you change your body, you will change your life. But then at the core of that, it's like, no change is worthy unless it is accompanied by a change in your body, which is not true. So I think, yeah, every, everything everything that you just said. And, and then in a theatrical way, during the show, I'm on the spin bike the whole time, pedaling on the spin bike the whole time. And I thought that that was a, you know, an interesting theatrical device and seeing how pedaling, you know, is representative of her, of the character's psychology and and also the, the audience watching her punish herself through exercise and almost wanting her to to stop. But she keeps she keeps going. I thought that was a really powerful, interesting theatrical device. So in terms of the the presentation of it, the, the actual productions, in the blurb that I've been sent, the, the sound guy gets a shout out, which is kind of rare in <laughs> in these blurbs. You've obviously sort of really thought about making it 
feel like a spin class or like church? How have you created that atmosphere? First, I'll say that you don't need to have gone to a spin class to to get the show. You you'll get it, and it's 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 words and vocabulary, you know, rhetoric that you will recognize from just fitness in general that you can't really escape from in our society, even if you are working out. Um, but uh, yeah, the sound because I'm I'm on stage alone the entire time. My character has a very a specific relationship with the space and the dynamics of the space and the sound without giving too much away the sound and lights sort of become the other character um as long as well as the audience the audience is also very much involved in the production um but yeah our our lighting and sound people Robbie has been just amazing uh in creating the atmosphere of a spin class that um at the beginning of the show my character's running a spin class and we really wanted to feel exciting like a spin class in the way that a spin class can be amazing and so inspiring and fun we want it to feel like that and lights and sound are key this is another thing about spin is it's very theatrical just if you go to a spin class there's lighting and there's sounds and there's a jerk there's an arc and a journey that's being crafted by the instructor and they're kind of directing your performance as the star of your own little show that you're you know your own drama that you're going through uh, so it is, I think, already an inherently theatrical space. And our team's really done a good job doing that. So this is quite a big question. And, and in a lot of ways, I think the answer or an answer is kind of obvious. And, I, you know, it's the sort of stuff that I, I sort of bang on about continuously, really, on this podcast in, in various different ways uh, about about the ills of social media, etc. But, like, what do you think is driving this toxic culture of fitness and wellness and, and the obsession with our bodies? Because I feel like, it has to be symptomatic of a deeper problem than just Instagram. Yeah, I listened to the the interview that you did with Emma Dabry about her really fascinating book, um, Disobedient Bodies, I think. And just really, you know, really interesting um, conversation that you guys had. Uh, not to plug somebody else's interview in the middle of my interview, but it was very... Go back um, and it, listen to our entire back catalogue, please. But obviously finish this one first. Yeah. I mean, yes. One, yes. You know, really, really interesting conversation. Where where does this pressure to have a perfect body come from obviously patriarchy obviously considering that a, a belief system that posits that a woman's worth the, her greatest worth is in the attractiveness of her, of her body which is i think a patriarchal staple it's one of their classics <laughs> um, that to me feels like a root cause and then all other systems that we create are in our society are informed by that patriarchy so capitalism you know okay well women want to be attractive we want to sell them stuff keeping them feeling unattractive will keep them buying things spinning their wheels if you will and then instagram you know okay these images of of ever increasingly impossible bodies to to attain um and keeping us you know, in competition with each other. That is another, it has patriarchy running through through its core. So that's, that's, that's my answer. And I think it also, you know, something that I think about fitness and exercise is, you know, about competition and, and that competition isn't necessarily a bad thing. And a ambition, competition, a desire to achieve, like those are, can be wonderful things. Those, those create miracles of of science and creativity, but they just get twisted so readily. And there are all these forces that want to gather, these systems that want to consolidate power. 
uh, and money. And so they're able to twist these things like competitiveness, positive competitiveness into something where we're tearing each other down as opposed to, you know, we're not we're not fighting. We're not being competitive against the right thing. Well, it's like the um, the classic Chimamanda Ngozi Dichi TEDx talk, isn't it? We, we're encouraged to be competitive with one another, but not for like jobs or like for the attention of men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If I remember from the Beyonce song correctly, I mean, obviously, the of course, <laughs> of course, the yeah. Beyonce song. But uh, yeah, okay. So January feels like a good time for this to be showing, given the excesses of December and the sort of slug-like qualities that many of us will be feeling. Um, in the new year, but you have already had a sellout run at Edinburgh, and the show is named the best solo performance by Theatre Weekly. What's the response been like to this? People are obviously really connecting to it, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel really, really lucky. Like, you just never know when you write stuff. This is my first full length play ever. Of course, yeah, it's your debut, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, I think I felt this call to write it and this thing inside me that wanted to speak. But you just don't know if that's gonna resonate with anyone else. And Edinburgh was just kind of a blur of like, get it out of my gut and onto the page and just let it be raw, let it ride. And I think I just feel very lucky that people did really respond to it. You know, as an artist, like you're trying to to touch people and I'm very political in in the way that I work. Like I just it's it's issue based for for me not hopefully not in a lecturing way i really want to make it personal but i care about what i'm talking about and to get the response from people got got lots of messages from people um got lots of people staying after the show to just talk to me being like yeah i i feel this way and i can't i'm not allowed to talk about it that's huge and i think i think that's partly why the play resonated with people so much is that it goes as hard as I can go into these issues, into that kind of grief about our bodies that it feels like we're not allowed to talk about. And also, I should mention that, like, also the play's funny. <laughs> like, I, guess, I, just, I just wanted to throw that out. Like, I'm making it sound very doom and gloom. And, like, you know, I, I, I'm serious about the issues. But, like, there's also lots of jokes. And because I don't believe in stuff that, like, doesn't have jokes. But I think that also made it something that felt a little easier to felt safer to engage with um instead of taking itself overly too too seriously so i think i think that helped as well it's 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 hard to sort of tackle all this stuff and be feeling like you can have a little laugh about it just i think creates a lot of space so what's next are you going to be touring this anywhere else or are you working on something else yeah we don't know exactly the dates and times yet but we've got some offers from some places in america that we might tour it and potentially in the uk that would be that would be fantastic um gonna leave that up to my fabulous producer megan martin with three hearts canvas she's uh she's been amazing this entire time i'm just gonna focus on the show and let somebody else take care of the business stuff yeah and then i'm working on writing my next play which i'm really excited about um and already exhausted uh, already exhausted about that play but you know you just have to keep keep going right where can we follow you to keep up to date with what you're doing so if you want to find out more information about spin we are on instagram at spin the play and on whatever twitter's called now x at spin the play and uh, me personally if you want to know what i'm up to i'm at hey the number eight dot ellen on instagram 
k8.gallon. So, Spin is on at the Arcalia Theatre from January the 9th to 20th. Kate, thank you very much for chatting to me. Thanks so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Hi, Hannah here. I'm delighted to be able to say welcome to the Standard Issue podcast, Joanna Hall. Thank you for joining us, Joanna. Hannah, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I am delighted to be here with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, yes. Could we maybe start with a little bit of background about you and how you came about creating Walk Active? I'm a sports scientist and fitness educator. Over 30 years in the fitness industry, which, so gosh, makes me sound quite old. I don't feel old, I have to say. But <laughs> So my, my whole passion has actually been helping people to realise health and fitness and well-being goals, but without having to press the stop button of your life. Because I think so often it's about train harder, find more time, which can often be a bit challenging and be a bit put people off when we leave such fast-paced lives, or maybe actually we don't necessarily like exercise. So Walk Active is a scientifically proven system to help people look and feel and perform better. And as a sports scientist, my background has always been delivering fitness programs, health programs, from being ITVs this morning's fitness and diet expert for three years as a resident expert leading campaigns to writing my books. And I've always really been passionate about helping people get real results. So Walk Active actually came from a very personal space, actually, Hannah. When I was 11 weeks pregnant with my daughter, I had deep abdominal surgery. And in the process of having deep abdominal surgery, we had to sign a form that we could lose our baby and I remember coming out of the operating theatre and sort of coming around at the end of the bed and my husband is talking to the surgeon and the surgeon saying, well, it was a bit difficult, a bit challenging. It was basically my appendix. It was all twisted, inverted. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he said, we had a real problem getting it out. So your wife is going to be really sore. Uh, hopefully the baby's okay. But, you know, that we had to go in three times to actually find it and get it out. So as a sports scientist, when I kind of obviously love working with people and need my body to kind of be physically fit I was actually very aware that I was going to be setting myself up for potentially problems with my joints with back care with back problems as well as obviously wanting my belly and my baby to grow in a healthy way so I was I was quite scared to be quite honest with you because I didn't know how my body was going to respond I was hoping that my pregnancy was going to be healthy and I wanted to be as fit and healthy as I possibly could within the conditions I had. So I really set about trying to improve my own well-being through walking. And that's what I did. So as a sports scientist, I basically applied my professional knowledge about how the body should move, improving our posture and making sure that the muscles are working under length so there's no compression. And I really sort of really, really worked and developed and evolved the technique through healing myself where I felt much better and I had a safe, healthy pregnancy and my little baby who is now 17-year-old daughter. Uh But what happened was I then started to teach clients and clients said, well, this is really good and you create more. So it really came from a very personal space about helping you look and feel and perform better all through walking, which is something that we all do, but we actually take for granted about not necessarily how many steps we do, but more importantly, how well we step. So our actual technique. And and that's what Walk Active is about. It's like taking the science of walking and helping everybody get more results. So it really elevates your walking game for your health and for your fitness and for your mental well-being based and backed by science. Excellent. 
Now, until really quite recently, anyone who listened to Standard Issue regularly could have been expected to hear Jen or Mickey in this spot. They are our healthy people. They are our gym goers. Our, our Jen is our sports fan. But actually, in the summer... I was told I had high blood pressure and I should do something about it. And I thought, yes, I should do something about it. I should become healthier. The idea of me running is ludicrous. I'm just just never going to do it. The idea of me going to a gym. A friend of mine said to me, fuck all of that, Hannah. Just start walking. And so I did. And I was absolutely amazed how quickly I, A, could go really quite some distance without needing a sit down and B actually enjoyed myself and missed it when I didn't do it, which was a real key to it. And I wonder if you could tell me a little something about the science of why it is that walking was doing me such good at that point. Well, first of all, can I just say big hand to you, Hannah, because I think very often we can be a bit sceptical about the benefits that we can get from walking. Mm. And you're a living example that you can really get big results in a short period of time. And I think what's fascinating about walking, and often we overlook it, is the fact that it's something that we can all do. And importantly, we can do it right through our whole lives. Mm. And I think that's where it has a very powerful advantage over maybe how you might talk about your other colleagues who are maybe more sort of sporty or more traditionally like I really like exercise and actually looking at low-hanging fruit and how walking can be hugely beneficial for helping you to manage your blood sugars reduce your risk of diabetes if you're looking at from more clinical health perspectives for yourself for actually managing your blood pressure to almost sort of thing other factors like mental well-being which we know about and When we go out for a walk, there are certain conditions which are very unique to walking, which are quite different from maybe other forms of exercise. So, for example, if we take our brain and looking at our mental well-being, when we actually go out for a walk, we obviously look ahead at the path that we're going to. But we also have this peripheral vision that's going sort of beside us the whole time. So when we look forward and we're looking at that point on the horizon, but we're also aware of what sort of the environment rushing past us, the environment rushing past us is called the optic flow. So in terms of the brain, the brain loves it when it can actually be really focused on something, but then it can also be distracted with what's going on at the side. It really likes working at that. And that stimulates the brain to work between what's called its active mode and it's default mode and when the brain can flip between these modes of active and default it's meant to be very restorative for the brain it actually helps our mental well-being and obviously when we're going out in green environments that actually enhances our mental well-being effect as well so that's in terms of mental well-being but also I think it's quite interesting about this concept of brisk walking because everybody's talking about brisk walking you've got to walk at a certain pace and that is true to a certain extent but actually just getting out and improving the bipedal movement. So you actually get some consistent movement through your body. Fantastic for controlling inflammation. Fantastic for managing your blood sugars. And even if you're walking at sort of two miles per hour, if you start to increase that to maybe three miles an hour, which is the equivalent of five kilometers per hour, that's when you get a significant improvement in how your body can manage your blood sugars by actually reducing your risk by 15%. So it's these small changes by looking at our technique as well that can be very powerful for our breath, can be very powerful for actually propelling us forward. And 
One thing I think that is quite interesting, if you're thinking about starting exercise, especially at this time of year when it's New Year and we're mm. looking at new kind of challenges and this is going to be the year, etc. If we are new to exercise or maybe we are recovering from an injury or maybe we're getting back out there after a period of injury or what have you, very often our breath can take a real toll, especially if we're sitting down at our desk all day and our posture is compromised. So when we actually get outside and we walk and we lift up out of our hips, and I'll share something, a little tip with you that you can really do to help you do that. It will lift the body, but importantly, it also allows the diaphragm then to have full range of motion. So what I mean by that, Hannah, is if you're thinking about going for a walk and we're slightly slumped forward or we're thinking about leading with our nose and I'm going to go faster, when we're in that slightly compromised position of leaning forward, the posture, the shoulders come forward and the diaphragm actually can't move its full 10 centimetres of range. When, it, when we take a breath in, it should move by 10 centimetres, which allows the air to come in and allows the air to come out. If our posture is poor or we're trying to snatch and power walk in a real sort of or technique way, the diaphragm actually is compromised. It can only move by about three centimetres. And that means it's harder for the air to come in and out of our bodies. Now, this may sound a small fact, but actually this has a big impact on how we actually feel when we go out and we walk. Because we want to feel comfortable with the breath. We want to be able to lift up the body and obviously check out the environment to help stimulate our brain to be looking at the path ahead and stimulate the environment around yeah. us. But also do that in a way, as you say, that you can maybe feel that you can start to walk a bit further comfortably without putting any pressure on your joints. So your posture is a really powerful benefit that you can get by improving your walking technique. Excellent. On that note, one of the upsides for me was it's enabled me to multitask in a sense of yeah. I can, mm. for example, phone people while I'm doing it, catch up on vocals, I can listen to podcasts I've been meaning to listen to for ages, or I can audio book, I can listen to music. Are those things useful or not useful when it comes to exercising in the sense of, do I need to have my mind on what I'm doing a bit more physically, what I'm doing so that's a really good question. So if we take it to this lowest common denominator about, okay, what is better to be sitting at your home and being sedentary at your table and listen to your podcast or actually physically moving your body and, and listen to your podcast? It's got to be going outside and moving. And very quickly, you can make some tweaks to how you walk to, to optimize that. So as a sports scientist, walk active is about a technique to help you walk better. So I am keen that people are aware of your movement quality. Okay, so very often it's about how many steps we do, whereas we'll catch about elevating your game, elevating your posture, elevating your joint care, elevating your body shape. And we've been scientifically proven to do that. So to answer your question directly, I do like you to be a little bit more aware of just rather than just, my head is down and yeah. off I go, sort of trudge, 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 trudge. So to really think about walking out of your space and being aware of your posture. But that said, we can walk and use a walk in many, many different ways. For example, if we want to problem solve or if we're actually a bit stressed, research has shown that if we're wanting to solve a problem, if we walk at a slightly slower cadence, that is a really good way to help us take a problem and solve it by taking it for a walk, as opposed to walking at a brisk pace. So in that sense, just to walk at a nice steady rhythm really allows 
the brain to sort things out and to often come back and feel better for that. Similarly, if actually we're wanting to say manage our blood sugar levels, walking at a brisker pace has been shown to be better for that. And equally, if we want to lift our spirits, studies have shown that if we walk at a cadence, a beat per minute of 120 beats per minute, that appears to syncopate with our heart rate. And that relationship has specifically been shown to make us feel happier. So you can walk at that pace and you feel brighter. So to answer your question, if you want to listen to your podcasts and within the Walk Active app, we actually have audio coaching sessions when you can walk to the beat of the music to help you walk at a consistent pace. I think it'd be really valuable. But as a sports scientist, and I'm wanting you to get the most from your walking so you can be effective with your time and effective with the results that you want. I think to be a little bit aware of that can give you big, big benefits. And that's really where your walking technique comes in. Right. But it doesn't need to be at the same pace. And I think that's important if, if you're not naturally an exercise lover. So the idea of like, I've got to go for a walk and it's got to be a certain pace, it's got to be hard. I would really encourage people to open up and challenge the way you think about how a walk can help you for your brain, for being productive in your workday, for our physical well-being to lift our spirits. And then also, you know, being creative and thought as well as obviously getting a little bit of elevation in our heart rate to help us walk ourselves fitter and to maybe improve our body shape by changing our shape through our actual technique. You know, be smart about it. That's how I would encourage people you know, listeners to think about, I'm going to be smart about this. It's not just going out for a walk and putting one foot in front of the other. I'm actually going to have 10 minutes that's going to really transform my posture and help my breath. Or actually, I've got this problem, I'm trying to be working it out. And this whole idea, as you say, multitasking, it's fantastic for multitasking, but make your technique the bedrock the foundation out of your multitasking approach because yeah. you'll get so much more out of that mindset. And I think as that's for women, God, we love, we're great multitasking, you know, that's default mode. So walking is like, wow, you're your optimum partner to multitask and do it in a really smart way for your body so you look better and you feel better and you, and you perform better, Hannah. Well, I have to say, when I first started walking, one of the first benefits that I noticed outside of obviously I lost some weight and I felt a bit healthier was I felt a bit more in touch with my community now that sounds a bit naff I think but I live in not the most scenic part of Cambridge by any stretch of the imagination so I seem to spend not a lot of time here except in my actual house and spend more of my time in other parts of and I started walking around here and one of the things I had to do was stop being distracted by stuff, stop taking photographs of things, stop stroking cats, stop having conversations with other people who were like walking around in circles and actually try and concentrate on what I was doing. I was ever so easily distracted at the start of it. I live in a very flat place, so I also know that I have a bit of privilege there over someone, perhaps from Sheffield, who's decided to start, to try and start getting fit because they're going to have to do some hills right. And I... Really oh, I've got some tips for that. I have got tips and that. We'll come back to that. Okay. So we're here in January. That's a good time to try and say that one of the big problems that I have faced, and I think maybe other women will face, is the available time you have to do this. I got to a point in about October, I would say, where I was doing about three miles a day. Great stuff. Then the nights start to set in. 
then it becomes more and more where is the available time I have so I was wondering if you could give me maybe just one tip or an example of a tip of how I can rather than have to walk more and then start perhaps walking at a time where I'm not necessarily feeling safe to do it but to make the most of the time that I've actually got if I decide I've got half an hour I can do you know a mile and a half something like that before my dinner or something how how can I make best use of that time bearing in mind I live in a really flat place yeah okay so the first thing I would say is think about your walking technique that may sound a bit like what do you mean walking technique of course we'll walk really well but if I was to say to you okay admittedly that you say you're not a sports person but bear with me in terms of concept if you appreciate that someone wants to get better at a tennis serve, for example, yeah. they understand there's skills involved and you might go to a coach and you get better at your throw up or mm. you get better at tossing. So we appreciate there's motor skills involved in that. Similarly, if someone plays golf or they want to improve their breaststroke, there's skills that we can employ to get better at that activity, but also actually give us more enjoyment. But when it comes to walking, we just forget about that. And that's actually a complete and utter false economy. Because when we spend the majority of our time seated, for one example, so our lifestyle dictates and has an impact on our life, we will also have a situation where we have our own physical story, where we might have had an injury, we might have had surgery, we might actually have a muscular imbalance. And then on top of that, our own body does definitely have certain muscle groups that are stronger than others. So this combination of lifestyle, muscular imbalances and our own physical story mean that when we go to stand up, Hannah, and put one foot in front of the other, the way that we put one foot in front of the other, I know that we are moving from point A to point B, but the movement pattern is less effective. We're actually putting more pressure on our knees. We're actually not utilizing our core as effectively as we could. And we're compromising our posture. So to me, get more out of your walking. You don't need to think about doing more. You need to think about the quality. So here's a little tip from the walkout system. And we've worked with South Bank Sports Performance. So this is backed by science to actually help you walk better for your posture, help you walk better for your joints and to help you walk better for your body shape, specifically around your waistline, and help you walk up to 24% faster. Scientifically proven. So here's one small tip. <laughs> you need to think, if, you, if you're standing still and you're looking about where you're going to go, most people, when we think about walking, we will think about stepping into our space. And as bizarre as this sounds, what we want to be thinking about is actually walking out of our space. So we start to utilise our glutes and utilise the muscles at the back of the body and we switch off these tight hip flexors at the front. Now, if we do that, this will actually help give us more propulsion forward. It will lift the posture and it will actually safeguard our knee joints specifically. And here's a really easy little tip to help that concept of walking out of your space. So if we imagine we've got a post-it note and you've got your post-it note, you've got your pads, you write a note on your post-it note. And on that note that you've written, you stick it on the sole of your trainer. Now, you and I are going to go for a walk, Hannah. You're going to walk in front of me and you've left a really nice message on that post-it note, which you've stuck on the sole of your foot. So as you walk away from me, you're thinking, I'm going to leave that back foot on the ground for a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. So Joanna can see that lovely message. It might say, Happy New Year, Joanna. Da, da, da. Okay. Uh-huh. And so I see that message. So by you leaving that foot a little bit longer because you peel that back foot off the floor, this may sound a very simple concept, but wow, it's so effective. You will actually help utilize the muscles at the back of the leg, 
you'll help switch off your tight hip flexors, which means that your core can start to work because if we're too strong in the hip flexors, our lower belly, which is often an area that most women may kind of really think about, I want to target that area. If our hip flexors are tight, we will never be able to challenge that area. So the idea of a post-it note can help our posture, help our joints, and to actually start to help propel ourselves forward. So if you are time short, your number one priority should be your technique. Right. That's what we do with Walk Active. Second thing I would say is, actually, if you are time short, don't necessarily need to think that it has to be half an hour. I would encourage you to think about maybe three locations that you may spend quite a bit of time at. So it might be your front door in your home. It might be your desk. So your desk might be a mobile desk. It might be at your home. It might be, you know, a place of work. And then maybe it could be at the school gates for your kids or it could be, you know, a supermarket or a relative. So you've got three locations. And from each location, find yourself a route. Write it down with pen and paper because this is a great time to do it this time of year when you're planning. And find yourself a route that's five minutes out back, a route that is 10 minutes out back, And if you want a longer route, that's 15 minutes out back. So these sort of easy, low-hanging fruit places that you can get your little bit of extra roots with your quality of technique, little and often can be very powerful, especially if A, your time's short, B, you're concerned about the light that you have available, and C, you're thinking, oh, actually, it doesn't really feel that appealing outside because the weather's not great. You don't have to be out there. And it's, it's being smart, and taking what the science says, rather than thinking, I've got to do more, I've got to work harder, it's actually being intelligent and connecting with the way that your body should move, as opposed to the way that our body has learnt to move. And I think this is incredibly powerful for us when we may feel that we are at a point of transition in our lives, or we try to do so many things as women in, as we say, multitasking, yeah. and we put pressure on ourselves that we try to do things really, really well because that's that's important to us. And I would say you can walk really well, and you can walk really, really well. Do not underestimate the power of transforming your walking technique because it's something that you're going to do today. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it next week. You can do it next month. You can do it next decade. And we may spend a lot of money on maybe our faces, our facials. What you want to do to make our face aesthetically look better, okay? My push point on that, and that's not a, that's not a subject to come up, but my push point on that is it doesn't matter how much we might invest in terms of how we look if actually we shuffle around and our movement quality is very aging. You know, it's like it doesn't add up. You can completely and utterly transform the way people think about you and perceive you as well as actually give a completely different impression of yourself and to lift yourself and to change how you look after your own internal health, maybe your gut health. You know, walk has been shown anecdotally. Many of our participants through the Walk Active app have really told us that they feel that their digestive system has improved And that's because we're actually giving more space for your internal organs. We give more length through the core so that the the torso area becomes more streamlined. But you've got this nice, smooth, rhythmical movement underneath, which is great to give your gut space and your gut has that opportunity to work. So there are so many broader and 
equally valid reasons to apply smartness and intelligence to the way that you walk. And that's really where my passion lies as a walking coach, because I think many women, especially, we can feel that we struggle to fit exercise in. We may have had a bad experience with it. It may be further down our list of to-dos, and then it becomes a pressure as opposed to a pleasure. And all these things mean that actually the months go by, the years go by, and actually it feels hard. It feels hard. And actually, I just let's let's really be expansive about this. It's fundamentally challenged the way we think about this because this is a smart way of investing in yourself without having to carve out more time in your day and you can get significant benefits, significant benefits. I got to be nearly 50 and then discovered that I actually quite liked walking. And yeah. more, in, I think more interesting than that, I... I I, I walked so much in, in like a few month period and I never took the most obvious route. That was my, my tip to people. I never took the yeah. most obvious route. Yeah. That a couple of months into this, I dropped a friend home to her house and we were driving down the road and I just turned down a, a side road and did a really weird... And she said, what are you doing? And I said, my God, I've retrained my brain not to go into the most direct routes to somewhere that I actually started doing it subconsciously when driving, which is a really bad idea for the environment, if nothing else. There's anyone out there thinking, I can't do it. Jesus, if I could do it <laughs> and start enjoying it, I think everyone oh, can. Yeah, and I think, so just to pick up on two points you made about how you feel more connected with your community. Yeah. That's a really lovely thing to do because, you know, when we live in a very fast-paced life, or very sort of focused life on our laptops and, and, you know, working from home, it can really just sort of change your whole perspective. So the ability to connect with your community, but also the appreciations of the seasons, I think is really helpful. That can make, that can be really, really powerful. So people talk about, okay, in spring, you see the sun and the colors and all the bulbs and everything's really wonderful and pretty, but actually maybe at this time of year, I would encourage you when you go out, okay, it might be gray, but look for textures, you can really have an appreciation of textures, so different sort of aesthetic stimulation in that sense. But also to come back to your point about you're saying where you live, Hannah, in Cambridge, it's very flat. If you are in an environment where you have hills, actually hills can be very beneficial for you and can really help your posture. So here's a tip for you. If you are time short and you're maybe walking out from your home or from one particular area and you're faced with either going uphill or going downhill, my advice for you is actually you take the downhill route. You're not copping out. You're actually going to be doing yourselves more favors for your posture. And this is why when you are walking downhill and you're using that concept of that sticky, sticky back foot with that post-it note, which we spoke about. So think about that post-it note. You're really leaving it on the back foot a little bit longer and you lift up from the hips more, you're going to actually get more opening of your hip flexors. So if you've been sitting down at your desk all morning, rather than thinking, okay, I better get up for 10 minutes because I listened to the podcast with Hannah at the standard yeah. and she said, I need to walk. So rather than I'm going to go up the hill, don't go down, turn and go down the hill and think about that sticky back foot with that post-it note, leave the back foot there a little bit more. And that's going to be wonderful for your posture. That's going to be wonderful for your back care, help open up your hip flexors and it will lift your posture. So your breath will become better. And that small tweak of actually using and understanding how your body works, even if you're just going to go down the hill, 
maybe around a little block and come back and you've done five minutes. That will be far more beneficial for you than thinking, oh, I've got to go up the hill and I maybe, you know, I've only got a short period of time, so I need to make it more effort yeah. and more hard. You know, that's false economy. Be smart. So go downhill first. Don't go uphill first. I mean, that, that, that's a message I can wholeheartedly get behind. Joanna, the app, I'm guessing, all the usual places. We teach Walk Active through the Walk Active app. So there are guided programs there to actually teach you the scientifically proven Walk Active system. So it shows you to improve your posture through the, the technique backed by science. And we also have uh, other audio coaching walk the beat sessions there so you can actually listen to music keeps you helping on track and a specific program there which may be because you mentioned the couch to 5k we have a program there called stroll to stride 5k which is a six-week audio coaching program where you walk the beat of music and you progressively build up over time walking slightly faster so that you walk 5k with great posture great pace and great technique in 52 minutes so you're getting great benefits wow. for your cardiovascular as your health um so that's the app and also our website is walkactive.com uh joanna this has been an absolute pleasure like i say i've bored everybody else with conversations about walking it's really great to talk to someone who's so enthusiastic <laughs> about it it's my absolute pleasure hannah thank you so much Standard issue for all women.